Welcome to the Dash Open podcast. Dash Open is your source for interesting conversations about open source and other technologies from the open source program office at Verizon Media, home to many leading brands, including Yahoo, AOL, Tumblr, TechCrunch, and many more. My name is Rosalie, and I'm on the open source team at Verizon Media. Today on the show, I'm so excited to be in Portland, Oregon, and chatting with Rachel Romiliotis. Rachel is the Vice President of Content Strategy at O'Reilly Media. Welcome to the podcast, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me here. It's amazing to have you here, Rachel. So we are actually at OzCon in Portland, Oregon. How are you loving OzCon so far? It's been really great. People have been coming up to me and saying thank you for, you know, I guess putting together a good conference, which is always very nice to hear because we work on it for 10 months out of the year. Certainly not just me, it's a whole team at O'Reilly, but I think it's been really great so far. Yes, so you've been involved with OSCON for many years now. You know, when you think about this OSCON versus prior years, what are some new themes or topics that you're noticing? Yeah, so five years ago, we were still doing the tracks in lang- programming languages. So it was like Python and Perl. And so we identified that open source was well beyond languages at that point and that we hadn't really changed things up. So when I came in, I decided to change it to more of sort of a problem solution, like how can we have tracks that cluster together problems? And of course you use open source technologies wherever you can. And so we made those changes. I mean, more recently, we've brought in a lot more sort of like continuous delivery, continuous integration, DevOps type stuff, data and AI. I'm cognizant that the audience is sort of, I think of the audience as sort of a general developer that these things are starting to touch people. There's not necessarily a specialist here, but data is starting to influence them. AI is starting to influence them. So that's what we try to bring in there. I try to bring in things that are a little bit outside of our comfort zone, like blockchain, which still hasn't quite caught on, but I'm still going to do it. And try to keep things fun. There's a fun part of OzCon. So like we have a live coding track, which means no, no slides whatsoever. And so you just have to, you have to go up there and you have to code. You make a mistake. That's part of the, the show now. And the other thing that we added that we wanted to make sure that we had was a case studies track, basically. We want to know about failures, successes. So those are the, the big new things. And what kind of triggered that change? You know, was it because you're looking at the different proposals that were coming in? I know O'Reilly has a tool that's kind of like focused on data insights. Is that kind of where you saw the shift sort of happening? So this was back in the day. I actually changed it just because it seemed really clear to me that you could choose whatever language you want. Again, it was really well beyond what those languages were. I mean, you know, we put together the call for proposals. So we kind of direct people to a certain extent about what they're going to send in 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 large areas. And so that first year, I think we took people by surprise, but we got lots of lots of proposals. And it's fun to see we lots get lots of community proposals. And you can see the stuff that really isn't that popular. I'm trying to think of like mobile hasn't been super popular. So, you know, we'll get like 250 community proposals and like 11 mobile proposals. And I'm like, all right, maybe not for OzCon anymore. <laughs> so it's influenced, like, I guess we try to make our best sort of strategy slash guess. And then it gets a little bit adjusted by what comes in in that CFP. 
And when is OSCON next year? I believe the date is already booked. It is July 13th through 16th, and it'll be here in Oregon again. And can we expect anything different for next year? So next year, I would love to look at, as far as open source, a lot more sort of open data set type stuff, open AI, this idea that you need to keep AI honest by opening up that sort of like machine learning black box. I mean, in some areas like finance and healthcare and stuff, like you have to, right? But sort of keeping that open, looking at the the bias and the ethics and how you get those answers, I really think that's where open source is going next. And then we'll always sort of bring back open source sustainability because that's so, I feel like people are like, of course it's open source. And I'm like, don't, you know, like count that unless you're contributing and you're making sure that you're figuring out, you know, how to keep it healthy. I love that. And I love how you're touching on kind of AI explainability, which is so important. It's kind of, especially in finance, you know, why did I get rejected for this? What's the reasoning behind it in healthcare? Why did I have this diagnosis? What's going on? In your opinion, what are some interesting AI use cases out there right now across industry? Yeah, so that's a great question. I love the like, maybe love is too strong a word, but sort of the robotic surgery stuff. Seeing that has been really insightful. I think generally what I'm really more interested in seeing coming up in the next couple of years is right now a lot of businesses are are thinking like, oh, AI. And they're not like, what does that actually mean? Do you know what I mean? And so figuring out how you can automate some of the decision making that you have to look at. Like with all of this data growing and growing and growing, we can only use AI now to make those decisions. And sort of seeing how that really, once it kind of goes beyond, I feel like it's in a little bit of a bubble right now, once it goes beyond sort of like the Bay Area and the big tech companies, how is that going to change? I mean, like, you know, you go to a hotel, for instance, and they like send you a little a text and it's like a chat button. They're like, do you need anything? And you're like, a towel. And then they bring it. So it's weird, like the conversational, like commerce stuff. It's like cool, but it's freaky. You know, AI stuff where they're like, they're like, oh, you probably want this now. And you're like, I do. What? So it's interesting being a part of sort of like AI moving forward. I feel like we need to make sure it moves forward the right way. Yes, and you have a very unique perspective because you're seeing it from the educational stance as well. Are you seeing a lot of interest when it comes to kind of O'Reilly books and education for AI and machine learning? Oh, yes. (laughs) Yes, definitely. So this year, so we we have a lot of, we have machine learning books, we have deep learning books. The stuff that's coming up now is um, unsupervised learning and reinforcement learning. And I mean, one of our AI books was super popular. We're doing a second edition. It's by Aurelian Garan. It's like hands-on machine learning with TensorFlow and Keras. They're selling like gangbusters. What we're really looking at sort of for later this year, next year, is putting AI into production. Like right now people are like, let's make AI models and all of this fun stuff. Now it's about really getting it out there and making sure it works and monitoring it and tweaking it. And so that's really what we're starting to start to get proposals on now. That as well as the sort of like reinforcement learning and sort of the new steps in sort of how you can make things smarter. TensorFlow is still popular. PyTorch is growing. So those are the that's in, in AI. That's so exciting. And you have such a great view of that landscape. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Yeah, and I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure in six months it'll be different. So. <laughs> or in six weeks. <laughs> yeah, who knows? So you have a large team at yep. O'Reilly Media. How do you grow your team? How do you empower them to do great work and to share knowledge? Yeah, so that's a good question. We, we often talk about how, so our team 
mainly is made up of acquisitions editors, those editors that go out and find people to write, the victims, and then there's development editors that, you know, expand upon that proposal that we get from that person that we're working with. And so I think a bunch of stuff has changed, actually, over the the years that I've been at O'Reilly. I mean, one, we've expanded well beyond books into many different modalities like online training, videos, reports. So that's one thing. And people are consuming the content differently. Print's still super popular, but they are going on our learning platform. Then we talk about sort of how we see ourselves a little bit differently than other sort of publishing houses. And we think of ourselves well beyond a publishing house at this point. But we think about sort of like O'Reilly DNA or editorial DNA. And that's, so we really encourage people on the team to get to know the community, the people, understand the pain points. And then we want them to have an opinion. It's not just about like serverless is a thing, here's serverless book. You know, like we want a perspective and we want to, obviously we need to partner with people to figure that out at a very, you know, deep technological level. So we want to do that. And then we also say that we want people to have strong opinions loosely held so that it's not like my way or the highway. You know, you keep learning, you keep talking to people. And that's what I think produces the great content. Are there any other things that you would say make for editorial DNA? You know, what do you look for when you're hiring kind of editors and writers? Yeah. I'm I'm guessing like a strong sense of curiosity because mm-hmm. the work that you're doing is very cutting edge. Some of it's very new, but yeah. it's also moving very quickly. Yeah, so definitely someone that likes to look into new topics, research. So definitely looking that. Someone who can I actually like. I feel like I'm at my best actually editorially when I'm going into an area with fresh eyes because you're actually teaching yourself it to a certain extent and you're not like drinking the Kool-Aid yet. Do you know what I mean? So you really can like, you're kind of mapping out the area and figuring out where are the gaps in knowledge and stuff like that. So I think that's really important. And then, I mean, we're only as strong as our network, right? And so you have to be great at networking, you have to be great at research, and you have to be good, I think, at synthesizing. Like there's something, there's like still that special sauce of, there's the problems, here are the people then how do you still make a good product, right? There's all of that. And we are hiring, by the way. Uh, so um, there's a lot that goes into it. That's amazing. It must be so great to work for you. No, I hope so. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yes. In your opinion, what makes for great storytelling? I would say at the, the core of great storytelling is being real and being vulnerable. And I think as far as technology, I mean, there's sort of like, there's the technology piece, right? And so there's not necessarily vulnerability there, but coming to something as a person that has really thought about a problem and a solution and is putting it out there and earnestly thinks that that is is the way to do things, I think that comes through in the writing especially or in the presentation, right? And that draws people to it and I think helps people to learn whether it's, whether it's writing or speaking. And I really just think that's at the core. I think it's as simple as that. On a similar note, that's really great advice. You know, for folks who've been working on a project for a long time and then they open source it and they say, hey, we want to get the word out about our project. We want to get more contributors. You know, what advice do you have for them about telling their story and connecting with that developer audience? So what I would say is, one, you have to tell your story a lot. I mean, there's just that. Like, you just have to keep repeating something, right? I would also be as welcome as possible. Look for something that's been a big topic at OSCON this year is sort of like non-code contributions and how documentation like I guess projects with bad documentation don't do well, right? So find people that aren't necessarily coders. That right there, I think, might help you because it's just a different type of person tell a story. I think going back to what we said, 
you're passionate about this project, I'm assuming, right? So if you're passionate about the project, then you do have a story to tell. And I think that's the contagious part. And again, I think it's just, there's so much noise that you just have to like keep telling that story. And then you have to find people that believe in it as much as you or have that problem. Like if there's the, if you can get that community together and your project really solves a problem, I hope, <laughs> I hope it can thrive. And when it does, come present at OSCON. Oh, absolutely. Yes. yes. <laughs> So for folks listening to this podcast and who've looked you up on LinkedIn, they're gonna say, well, Rachel's had a really fantastic career and she's doing amazing work at OSCON. What advice do you have for them if one day they want to be, they want to be you, want to be in your shoes? So if someone wants to get into, I guess I would say like technical, the technical publishing world or the learning world, I mean, I think it starts with, like, I used to do all of the really basic stuff, like putting stuff into databases and writing copy. It's not something that happens overnight. You have to you have to do the hard work, and then you get more and more opportunities. And I guess I would say also, be yourself. Like, there's going to be people along the road that are going to say, oh, you need to do this and you need to do that. And you're not going to be happy if you stop being yourself. So I would say work hard. Don't expect it's going to happen overnight. And you need to be happy. We go to work so much. <laughs> you need to be happy going to work. So make sure you're happy. Very, very great advice. Well, Rachel, it has been so great to chat with you today. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me here. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode and you wanted to learn more about our open source program at Verizon Media or other technologies that we have available, please visit us at developer.yahoo.com. You can also find us on Twitter at YDN.